0: Hi, this is part two of our episode on comas which we recorded for a very long time and are releasing in two episodes. Uh, if you're listening to this first, get out get out of here. Go back to part one and listen to that one because this is part two. you're not gonna understand what's going on. Um, enjoy the episode and stay frosty. But I also wanted to talk quickly about some um, misinformation around comas, uh, some of which we've already like mentioned a little bit here. First of which is probably the one that, like, a coma isn't necessarily just one specific brain state, but it's more of sort of, like, catch-all label that can, that can have multiple different conditions as part of it. And we've also mentioned a little bit that, like, when you fall into a coma, it's not as if you wake up later, like, you just wake up from a normal sleep. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, as you say, like, sometimes parts of the brain will wake up a bit quicker than others. Sometimes parts of the brain, like, won't ever wake up properly. Um, and that recovery can take, like, very, very long time. It can require like a lot of speech therapy, it can require a lot of uh, physical therapy and like medical interventions and things like that. But there have been people who do wake up like that, (laughs) but it's not super common though. Something that is quite common in comas is that people will oftentimes, patients will respond to some external stimuli, but not sort of like in an active way. Like they can't like actively respond by like moving, moving their bodies or doing, um, or like saying something or opening their eyes necessarily. But heart rates can often change depending on who is in the room. Mm. So when families come to visit a coma patient, heart rates will sometimes rise quite quickly, actually, even though like brain activity is not registering anything. So that's weird, Mm -hmm. (laughs) isn't it? That's also one of the reasons why that like people, like in the movies, for example, you'll see this and people will think it's stupid um, where like a nurse will come and be like visiting hours are over and people will be like, right? Like they're asleep. Like what are are we going to do? like, they're not tired of us. Um, But they are, (laughs) turns out, (laughs) because, like...
1: They've seen enough.
0: (laughs) But rather in the sense of, like, you know, it does... Like, if if you start affecting the heart rate, you don't want that in a medical setting. You want things to be as stable as possible. So that's why they actually do have, like, time restrictions on coma wards. Mm. Interesting, isn't it? Mm -hmm. And in a lot of coma cases, people do report um, in the waking up stage, right? Like, when they're they're past the fully unconscious state and they're still waking up, which can, like... Take quite a long time, right? Uh, many people will report like having partial understanding of the world around them in the room. Like they will be able to, they, they might be able to remember sort of like what people are saying around them. They might be able to like hear the TV. Uh, they might be able to sort of like feel the 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 sun on their face, like if they're close to a window, and they can count like the days mm. because of that. But oftentimes it's. They're not, like, awake for, like, a day and then they fall asleep. Like, they're up for, like, a... Like, they're awake like, like for, like, mo- a minute like moments, or something. yeah. Yeah. So and, it, 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 and a lot of people describe it as being, like, in a nightmare, basically. Oh, yeah. Or, like, in a dreaming state where it doesn't... Nothing really makes sense. And, like, a lot of the sensory input is sort of just, like, mangled. Like, you're mm-hmm. in a dream. But you can still, like, distinguish people talking. You can still distinguish, like, some sensory inputs. But you don't know what to do about it.
1: <laughs> so, what I'm hearing is, like... If you're visiting somebody in a coma, don't talk shit about them. Don't they talk might, shit about they them. Might they remember. might hear you. <laughs> they might remember.
0: They might. The For real, they might remember. A lot of people have said this. though like, you know, they've heard, they've heard like family members talk shit about them. Like imagine how shitty that is being like, like
1: sh- I'm, I'm literally remember.
0: asleep. Like I'm, what do you want me to do?
1: Yeah. Or like, I'm literally in a coma. I like you have survived nice a car accident, like by the skin of my teeth. And you're, you come into my room and you talk shit about me. Yeah. Yeah. So like. Yeah,
0: it can happen. It's anecdotal, it's not a universal thing. So sometimes you I guess you can't talk shit. Um but like sometimes like, cuz like the nurses will say this that like if they're in the if they're not waking up, they're not going to notice, mm-hmm. which is true. They they have to be in the stage where they where there's where they have like some some consciousness. But for a long time, nurses or medical staff might not know that a coma patient is in that stage, right? Cuz they they can't respond. They can't do anything. So that it, it can take literally like months before someone notices that like hey, brain activity is a bit weird when some people move around here, for example, like, oh, shit, they might be mildly conscious. And then you can sort of like start um, doing some therapy on that person, for example. So that's, I think, quite interesting. And now I'm going to mention some quick notable cases uh, of like individual cases of people who have fallen into a coma and woken up uh, that I think think sort of illustrate this point. Um, So a few uh, notable examples of this happening are, for example, the case of Martin Pistorius, uh, who claimed after waking up to have been able to hear and be aware of a lot of things during his coma. And he suffered, like, not necessarily from a coma, but he suffered from locked-in syndrome after a coma. Uh, because sometimes one of them can transition into the other. Mm-hmm. And locked-in syndrome is where people are aware and awake, but they're just unable to move their bodies. So, like, the distinguishing line between locked-in syndrome and being in the awakening parts of a coma can be a bit arbitrary. Because some people imagine locked-in syndrome as like you wake up in the morning but you can't move and like then you're awake for eight hours and like fully conscious and fully aware of what's going on. And that's not oftentimes what happens. It can sometimes happen but some, that's not oftentimes what happens. Uh, it's more like this like dream state where you sort of um, experience things a bit more like ephemerally and uh, things like that. Very similar to the awakening stages of a coma. Uh, they're technically different, but, like, I'm just saying that there's a huge overlap, mm. which is why I'm mentioning his story, because he was in a coma, and then he h- had locked-in syndrome. Yep. And he had to undergo significant therapy after a nurse discovered that he could move his eyes to respond to words. Very, very mildly, by the way. Like, not, like, a full-on movement of the orbits, but, like, like very, very, very subtle. But once there's, like, a small response to stimuli... Then you can you can sort of like train that, and you can become better at it, and that can like lead to you waking up more and more. Uh, and that's the kind of therapy that you that you can do. And he still today, because this happened I think in like 2009, um, has not fully recovered from this, and he still suffers from a speech impediment, which is very common in uh, awoken coma patients. Uh, and he also uses a wheelchair, but you know he still he's still in recovery, so mm-hmm. to say. In 2011, he had to use a computer to talk to other people. That was like. A fair bit into his recovery but by then he had also managed to write a book called ghost boy which is about his experience as well comatose and i've read parts of it for this episode it's quite interesting and in 2018 uh, he was doing wheelchair racing and expecting a child and now he posts a lot about uh disability activism on his twitter so if you want to if you want to have like first case
1: accounts accounts of of coma
0: that's a that's a good way to get it
1: I should look him up. I think it would be interesting to, to like both read the book and also like see what, what yeah. he's posting. Ghost
0: Boy is, is pretty good. Mm-hmm. Another famous example is the case of Minnie Smith, a Canadian woman who in 1963 was watching news reports of the assassination of JFK and suffered a stroke, and who woke up again in 1992 and was understandably very shocked about how the world had changed, especially with how her husband and herself now looked... Old and grandfatherly, apparently, like she said, how her children were suddenly middle-aged and how far technology had progressed. Um, she's one of the people who have been like asleep the longest and managed to wake up from a coma because she was asleep for like over thirty years, or I guess twenty-nine years, but still, like it's for coma patients, that's kind of unheard of. It's one, it's one of like the top five longest times people, mm. a person has gone while in a coma and managed to wake up from it. Mm-hmm. Um, but this story is kind of cute, even though she was like very distraught over how much time she had lost, because her husband had taken care of her every single day since the stroke, and had refused to put her in a care home. And when she woke up again, uh, they both claimed that it was like the romance began anew, mm. and they had they had a good they had a good time. That's so cute. They had a good time. Yeah. Apparently, he also like the husband said that like. Uh, Like, when I got married, I made a vow. I'm not gonna like abandon her in the home. Every day for like 29 years took care of her. Uh, And then then they got to spend some time together. That's a
1: really nice story. Very wholesome. Thank you.
0: Last case I want to bring up is the case of fireman Donald Herbert, who was left in a coma in 1995 after being hurt in a burning building, and who one day in 2005 got up and talked to his family for 14 hours. After which he fell right back into his coma. The cause for him waking up or relapsing were, and still are, unknown. So 10 years in a coma, wakes up one day, manages to talk to his family for like a day, and then he's back.
1: That's... Scary, right? That must be also like pretty upsetting to the family, because like you're you're so happy, like you're... Oh my god, he's back. Oh my god, he's back, and then he's gone again yeah, he's realizes, yeah, so do you know what happened like what happened to him after all is he still in I think the he coma? died a few years ago in a coma mm. still
0: so he just he he had one day where he sort of like got to talk to people mm. um yeah um but in terms of famous examples this is pretty much it a lot of famous people slip into short-term comas uh, but then waking up is sometimes very undramatic or when it is a long-term coma, the people involved are not very keen on talking to the press or writing books about it because for them, it's like a long process of like recovery and healing. And it's, for some, it's like very traumatic and a lot of people, they don't want like the attention of like being mm-hmm. like a famous coma survivor. Mm-hmm. So most yeah. people, and for most for most people, it's just a, it's just a medical intervention, right? Like the, the, they're in a the hospital, they wake up, then they go home, like. Who's going? Who's going to like make notes about being like, hey, this person woke up from a coma after thirty-five years? Like, unless the person actually wants to, no, that's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's one of the reasons why we think it's a lot more common that people are like asleep for forty years and then wake up. Is just because of media, because it's been a plot device in so many like books and movies and TV shows. But it's 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 really not very common that people are asleep for multiple years. So that is my little segment on on. On the history of comas and like individual examples, um, scary stuff. Especially because it tells us that like the the barrier of like brain working and brain not working as intended is so thin mm-hmm. uh, that we we really don't know what causes all of it.
1: So as you said, there's a lot of things that we don't know about comas. So now I'm going to talk about like research and development developments future developments in coma and prognosis and diagnosis and treatment even so it's pretty obvious that there's a lot of gaps in the diagnosis and treatment of disorders of consciousness so let's talk a bit about like the challenges that we have in diagnosing and like understanding like how comas will develop yeah um there's quite a few things but i'm gonna take two examples because We have limited time um so firstly the tools that we have are not very specific Mm -hmm. and don't really distinguish between different disorders like between comas and states of covert consciousness um which is where covert consciousness yeah where the person so what that means is like the person recognizes stimuli but is unable to respond to them um which sucks because people can recover from the latter um which means that people who may have been able to recover have been like taken off life support because those like because maybe physicians thought that they were in a coma and they weren't going to recover so it's very important that we are able to distinguish between different things because they come with different like
0: like ethical concerns they
1: come with different like um prognostics Mm. um so ideally we would have biomarkers that can detect relevant brain activity or lack of activity or brain cell damage and biomarkers by the way they're uh, so it's like a general term for measurements that relate to biological function. It mm-hmm. can be molecular, cellular imaging, or electrophysiological. So basically, diagnosis and prognosis are quite uncertain. Like we think generally that physicians have like all the answers, and like they'll look at a patient and know immediately what the like what what their what their problem is. Yeah. But like a lot of decisions related to comas are based on uncertainty. Um, which obviously is not great when it's like a decision between like life or death or when it's a life or death situation. Yeah. So it would be nice to have more precise diagnostic tools. Another issue is the fact that there's inherent heterogeneity between humans, um, and current coma diagnosis and prognosis is is based on singular phenotypes. Mm -hmm. Um, so for example, clinical evaluations focus on motor function and overt cognition, but this can misdiagnose patients who have, like, cognitive impairments or cognitive motor association. Um, so, you know, it's treating everybody the same, but different people have different, like, abilities. Yeah. Um, and their brains work differently. So what applies to one may not apply to all. Yeah. But also comas simply can be caused by so many different things. And so the prognosis is shaped by, like, what caused the coma, but also by individual genetic and non-genetic factors which are often missed by current diagnosis tools. Um, So there's a need for more nuanced approaches to diagnosis and treatment. Okay, now we've talked about some issues in co-op research, like some challenges. So let's talk about potential solutions. Let's try to be um, optimistic optimistic about it. So like I said before, one issue with disorders of consciousness is misdiagnosis. There are multiple other conditions that appear similar to comas, like vegetative states or minimally conscious states. And something that's being developed in order to improve diagnosis of disorders of consciousness is machine learning. Mm. And this is kind of um, a a big word, a buzzword that, you know, is kind of everywhere, but I don't don't know how much you know about it. Um, So I thought that it would be interesting to also talk about like what it is um, and how it can be used for diagnosis. Yeah.
0: I know so, it can be used in Bitcoin yeah. and NFTs. I know that's not what we're talking about right now.
1: No, I mean, machine learning is a very, um, how do you say? How do you say? It's a very like versatile tool mm-hmm. um, and it can be used in everything. And it's basically like an algorithm. Um, and the world is built on algorithms. So machine learning is a subfield of artificial intelligence, which is a branch of computer science that aims to perform computations to extract information, to extract like unknown factors based on known factors. Mm -hmm. So let's take coma patient information as an example to illustrate like what this means. Mm -hmm. Um, So to diagnose the patient, physicians usually have to collect a bunch of data And the data that would be relevant for machine learning would be like imaging data, like EEG and MRI data, but also like eye tracking and galvanic skin response, which it's a whole thing, but it's basically like um, the the response of, of the patient's skin to stimuli. So normally a team of physicians would have to compile and analyze all of this information and make a decision based on what they see. And a machine learning algorithm is kind of the same in the sense that After you give a data, Mm -hmm. it will be eventually able to distinguish between a coma and other types of disorders of consciousness Mm. and make prognosis based on the data. But first, it has to be taught how to do it. So it's like a new guy on the job that you have to teach how to do the job. So at first, it's given a set of data, like a bunch of MRI images or, you know, whatever. And then a scientist has to identify the features that that they want the algorithm to look at. And that can be like you know, patterns of brain activity or, you know, patterns of of structural damage. So the algorithm is like, okay, this is what I need to look mm-hmm. for. Me. And the, then
0: it analyzes like a bunch of pictures to find yeah. similar things and like sort out exactly. what is and what isn't. Exactly. It's so, like one of those, like, because I know machine learning, it, like you teach it, you teach it what a dog looks like. Mm -hmm. And And then it's able
1: to, like, recognize dogs based on what it's learned. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so the feature...
0: Can I tell you something? That's actually what a lot of the... You you know when you log into, like, certain websites and Mm -hmm. you get, like, a CAPTA thing? Mm -hmm. You, like, select all dogs on bikes in this this Mm -hmm. picture or, like, select every uh, traffic light. What you're doing then is, is you are doing the job of... The of the doctor in this case, where you're sort of like telling a, a computer, being like, "This is what you're supposed to look out for. Mm-hmm. This is what you're not supposed to to sort." And then you're teaching a so some machine people, learning yeah. to identify traffic lights. So when when you're logging into Discord, dear gamers, what you're doing is you're training Teslas how to how to auto drive. <laughs> That's <laughs> so li- is that, that information.
1: So is that information actually actually used for like other purposes?
0: It's well. It's used for machine learning data. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, so uh, like AI companies isn't... work together with a capta company okay. and like tell them like, hey, we want to learn. We want to teach our computer and the, what the... a boat looks like. Okay. And then they show you a bunch of pic- then they give you a bunch of pictures of boats, not boats, and. Hundreds of thousands of people like logging into various websites on the internet have to do that um, because computers can't recognize it, but we can. So, we're so all... it works as, as both human confirmation and also as yeah. AI, AI uh, machine learning So teaching. we're all
1: secretly working for Elon Musk, is what I'm hearing. <laughs> yes,
0: but also for like, all sorts of other companies. Like, um, I, It's like there are some capital companies occasionally that you will see, like, pick... Every uh, like yellow image on this one, thing, for example, and then over time, you, it's like some software uses that to like analyze galaxies or like protein strains or structures or something like that. It's like it it, it can be used for anything.
1: So earlier, before the episode, I asked you if you know what machine learning is, <laughs> no. and you're like, and you're like, no, I don't know anything about it, and now you're like giving me a whole ass lecture about machine learning. I'm sorry, I,
0: I thought I didn't know as much.
1: Okay, so going back to the coma patient yes. thing. So the scientist gives it data it it tells it what features to look to look out for and it also gives it like the right answer mm-hmm. so you know it, like the specific pattern of brain damage this means that the patient is, is mm-hmm. in a coma and it's, it's it gives it like hundreds thousands of images the more images that the algorithm looks at the more the better it is at like identifying um you yeah. patterns that that you that you're interested in yeah So then the algorithm is tested to see how well it predicts the correct answer and optimized based on how well it does. Usually you have to go through like rounds of optimization, Um, but in the end, hopefully you get the right answer. Um, And then after that, it can be run on patient data to diagnose and output prognostics. And there's a lot of talk about whether machine learning algorithms are better or worse than real radiologists or physicians. Mm -hmm. And there's no clear answer. Um, like sometimes the algorithm can detect features that physicians miss, but it can also misidentify features. Yeah. And also it's strictly based on how you train it. So it's not able to detect anything beyond the features that you teach it to recognize. Common problem. Yeah. And it also, the result also depends on the input data. So if you give it garbage, it's going to give you garbage back. Yeah. And also the quality of the algorithm, like maybe it's not optimized well enough, or maybe there aren't a lot of there isn't a lot of um uh, input data
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, maybe you need to add more, or maybe the data is all like too similar, so then when you ask it to to like look at a picture that looks a bit different, then it's not going to be able to recognize yeah. it. Um, so, you know, it, it has limitations. It has its own limitations,
0: yeah. but I guess it's practical just for like the sheer scale of it. Right. Because exactly. like, it takes out a lot of work.
1: Exactly. So that's what, um, what's one of like the main purposes yeah. for, for machine learning. It can help with doing grunt work yeah. in classifying straightforward cases. But then if you have like more difficult cases, then maybe it's useful to, Get a physician yeah. to like take a look too. I
0: guess I, I'm sure that like some medical programmer has probably thought about like if it's not like if it's not super sure that this is what it is, then it gives it like a yellow stamp and ask like hey a, ask a doctor to take a look at it and like see if they can sort it out. Yeah, but the, and the, then I mean the, they, the
1: algorithm I, doesn't know if it's right or wrong. It I guess, just yeah. but it it gives it, you an if, output. I think it has
0: certainty. It. Remember have you have you seen have you seen the meme imi- image of like a phone? Oh, that's to, like, true. It does have a certainty. Yeah. So like. Where it looks at a cockroach and it's like, this is a bichon frise. Yeah,
1: but I mean, if the algorithm's bad, you know, then it's gonna have then it's gonna be certain inaccurate. That, yeah, sir- yeah, it's it's true, be certain. true. Um, anyway, I guess that's
0: a problem. I guess that's, some- that's something that, like, I guess medical programmers have to have to think, think about. Think about yeah. I'm so glad I just make silly videos for <laughs>
1: that. And I also had some classes on machine learning and. My lecturer said that the average machine learning algorithm is worse than the best radiologist in the area, but better than average radiologist. So, God, imagine, t- like, getting your job taken away by, like, yeah. an algorithm. <laughs> better do well in med school. Better cause... do well in med school. Yeah.
0: I love that, though. I, I think it's kind of fun to, like, a nice bar for people to be like, yes, I'm beating the computer. Yeah, yeah nice. exactly. Nice. People can trust me. And then it's like, like it's got to suck to be like, hmm. I guess I, guess I got to outsource it to the computer.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, overall, it's best to have like collaboration. Yeah. Uh, I don't even like saying collaboration because it's like an algorithm. It's not like a person. Yeah. <laughs> but it's good to have like physicians working. Like, like together like, with We're yeah. using that as a tool to improve like. Because it's not the mutually accuracy. exclusive. No, right? it's like, not. Like, yeah, it's but, not for sure. You know. But overall, machine learning algorithms are of great interest to medicine and science as well as many other areas in society.
0: Now that we've talked about, like, maybe the most STEM thing that exists of, like, like, programmers doing machine learning, which is, like, the most, like, tech tech bro thing that exists, I think. Even if you're not, like, a tech bro, like, tech bros love machine learning. Mm-hmm. I'm going to talk about maybe the most, on the other side of the spectrum, the least tech bro the, thing, the least tech bro thing uh, ethics, medical ethics. Mm-hmm. So, the least Silicon Valley thing to ever exist. Um... And this is like to, to round this episode off, we, we need to talk about medical ethics a little bit because comas, people who are in comas are in a pretty unique position when it comes to uh, medical treatment generally, but also when it comes to like how we approach medical ethics, uh, because the, the obvious issue is, of course, that like comatose patients are one of the few patient groups that cannot give informed consent hmm. for participation in clinical trials or studies or treatments
1: hmm. they have no autonomy they basically. have no
0: autonomy so there are some limitations to this like if something is it, it, it all depends on like there are some medical guidelines right about like how, what what a physician can do without the consent of the patient and what they need to uh, or what something has to be with the consent of the patient and can't be handled with a medical proxy so like um, if if a trial would be like, what if sawing a person's legs off and throwing the leg in an incinerator might wake them up from the coma, That they would be like, well, they'd have to consent to that. Mm-hmm. You can't just, no no one can do that for the patient.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, but if it's like, this person should have maybe some Tylenol, you don't need, you don't need, you don't need health proxy consent for that all the time. Maybe for Tylenol. That's an
1: interesting, but that's an interesting like line to draw. Yeah um but
0: those lines do exist
1: yeah I guess you you gotta draw the line somewhere yeah
0: but because of this like a lot of medical decision making is left to the patient's family uh, or in some cases a state-assigned health proxy to make choices on the patient's behalf
1: like if they don't have a family or friends
0: (laughs) sometimes even if you do have a family or friends it it, like being a medical proxy for a loved one is not something you can do just because you're a loved one Mm -hmm. so like they, 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 like there are people who may and it, this depends on the country and depends yeah. on the hospital to say whatever. So like, your mileage may vary. But like, in a lot of places, there will be like a board to like assess your competency as a health mm, proxy. So like, okay. are you are you sort of like in a position where we you can be trusted with medical decisions for your partner? Okay. Say.
1: So what exactly do they look at?
0: All sorts of things. Like there's an interview process. There's a sort of uh, like what education you have, like what position in life you're at, like what what your relationship to the to the patient, uh, how you feel about the patient, what
1: education you have, that's interesting. The, but also all of these things, like, how much money you have, <laughs> do you have a big house? Do you think
0: the doctors here are pretty?
1: <laughs> but like all of
0: those things, sort of like influence. I th- I don't think education is like a very serious point of point of uh, mm-hmm. thing here. But just mm-hmm. by being your sort of like point of contact with healthcare doesn't mean that you are automatically Mm. that person you're very likely to be but you are not automatically that person but that's like you can be deemed sort of like an incompetent health proxy
1: Mm. that's interesting i mean on one hand it's good that there are some like checks and balances mm -hmm. um so like yeah make sure that the person that's going to make a decision potentially about whether you live or die is like competent enough for it
0: so like the so like there are in some cases, you know, like a person doesn't want to be a health proxy, like they don't yeah. want that burden yeah. for themselves Fair or that no responsibility. And then you can be assigned like a state a state health proxy, mm. um, which is basically just a bureaucrat <laughs> who has to make like ethical de- who has to make the medical decisions based on guidelines, because they almost never actually meet the patient. Mm. Um,
1: Hmm. i wonder how it would feel to wake up and be told by your partner (laughs) that they they i didn't want that responsibility no that they decided that a stranger is going to take responsibility for Mm -hmm. your life and well-being because they didn't want the responsibility like on one hand fair you know but But on the other hand like it must feel it must feel pretty shitty because like it's a stranger
0: yeah who has to like only who just basically like just looks at at
1: like data as
0: at data like statistical significance yeah. yeah Yeah, because I think that I think a lot of them like are just are statisticians. Like yeah, they like because exactly. they don't they, they have don't, no personal sort of like connection yeah, to, to they the don't patient. know
1: they don't know you, they don't know yeah. what you want, so they don't know all what's they look at is at
0: medical outcomes. That's exactly. all they have to look at. Which I guess is good on on one end, but it's also it's kind of very impersonal. Mm. Um
1: yeah, and like like um I was trying to say, it's like, you know, maybe some de- some decisions about like healthcare should be based on like the the, the person's values, mm-hmm. like what's important to them. You know, some people don't wanna be, don't wanna stay on life support if yeah, if they if they have a very low chance of surviving. Yeah, Um other people want to like be given every 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 opportunity. Every yeah. opportunity. So it's but this like, is yeah. also
0: why like I think they they do prefer if it's like a loved one a family, who is yeah, a health proxy, or, Uh or, or like one. a family or something yeah. like that mm-hmm. that who can do that because they know the patient, they know what the patient would want. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there are cases, there, there, there have been cases, I'm going to mention this too as well, um, where a, a health proxy will be assigned, but then other people from the family, for example, will heavily disagree with the health proxy proxy being selected. And then you can get into court cases where the two health proxies, like like a court has to decide which health proxy is sort of like the most likely to be like, representative of the patient's actual like desires and values so like because like one person can be like no we should disconnect the feeding tube she wouldn't want this and then then the family would be like that's not at all true this person would want every opportunity Mm -hmm. to to like fight for as long as possible but that's like
1: yeah it's also it's also interesting that like you know maybe the loved one at first wouldn't want responsibility and then they find out who's gonna who's gonna take that role and they're like you know what i take that back back. i'll do it (laughs) But, like, the, all of these things <clears throat> happen, yeah. right? And, like, it's, it sucks
0: that they happen. Uh, and I'll get into that. Um, but one, one example here that comes up quite a lot is a, as a medical procedure called vagus nerve stimulation, or VNS, which has shown uh, some promising results in waking up coma patients who have been stuck in a coma over 12 months. Uh, not waking them up fully, but, like, it triggers some brain response, and then you can build on that. It can stimulate the brain in a way to sort of kickstart it. But it can also damage the brain if you do it too much. So it is not a risk-free procedure, and it's hard to know if damage has been caused until the patient wakes up. So it's very, it's very plausible sometimes that like you do vagus nerve stimulation and you cause damage, but you have no way of knowing if you've done it, and then you do it again and cause even more damage, and like you you end up harming the brain quite significantly, but you don't know. Um, or you can do it multiple times and the, and the brain will be fine. Like, it's, it's so difficult to know. But because this harms, because this has a pretty high chance of, like, well, high chance for a medical procedure anyway, to harm the patient. Like, is that something that a health proxy can consent to? Especially because, like, this vagus nerve stimulation is only really used in cases where... Like you know, the patient isn't brain dead. Like there mm-hmm. is still a chance for them to wake up, even without the stimulation thing. Yep. So it's like, do you want to do, do you wanna want chance the, it yeah. or do you want to like sort they of could like let them? Yeah.
1: But then the thing is also that like you know, the longer they stay in a coma, they can transition to something that is even harder. For yeah, them to wake exactly. Up from like, so, like a vegetative do you wanna, state. Yeah. So do you, so do you, you want wanna to encourage it? Yeah. Now do, you do, it now. Exactly. do you want to do it now? Exactly. Do you yeah? Like what would the do you want to like hurry the process up and and risk that the person wakes up and they have brain damage yeah. or would you rather like let them stay in a coma and then risk them never waking up yeah yeah it's so really it's a, it's a tough, nut to crack. Dis- <laughs> tough nut to crack <laughs> um,
0: so th- this is a ongoing debate mm-hmm. within sort of like the medical ethical community like the, the risk here is actually quite low i will say that like radiation stimulation is quite safe it can cause damage to the brain though so it's not risk-free but if you do it so you're gonna be fine Mm-hmm. Like and you can do it multiple times and you'll be fine. Like it's not it's not a fifty fifty chance. Um, so some doctors are arguing for it that. Like this should be almost standard practice. But then you know other other doctors will come in and be like, well, it can cause damage. Though. Like it will some people will be brain damage if you do this. So like, what is that? Is that okay? Like, mm-hmm. and where does that also play into like the patient's wishes? Like with the pa- because like would they the rather like might...
1: live with brain damage or would they rather like never wake up? Yeah.
0: But- like, what What risk do you want to take? Because yeah. that's not a question that a lot of people think about mm-hmm. in their life. Like, a lot of people think about, like, would you, would you want to be on life support forever? Or, like, would you want, to like, just like we die? Like, that, like th- that's not the basic thing you get into, but, like, what kind of risk to take is mm-hmm. not something that a lot of people think about.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, for the record, uh, if I'm in a coma, people should do nerve stimulation to me. I, I'm, I feel like I've already had a significant amount of brain damage. <laughs> What's a bit more? You know, and I, I I don't, I want to be up and about. <laughs> <laughs> risk think, it, risk it. No, I don't give a shit.
1: Yeah, I think I'm the same. For the to record. Be honest. For the record, yeah.
0: Similar yeah. questions have come up in other areas as well, as in the case of Terry Schiavao, uh, who fell into a coma in 1988 and had her feeding tube removed after a few years after a long legal petition from her husband and an even longer uh, legal battle. Um, because the the two sides in her case ended up being um, like her family and disability activists on one side saying that she had a right to life, um, because the, the case was basically, she had been in a coma for a long time. Now what? That, that, that's the question basically. And the husband basically said, Hey, let's take her off life support. That's the legal position. Um, and on one side, they're saying like, she has a right to life. You shouldn't have a right to just disconnect someone from life support after, I think this was like four years. mm mm-hmm. Uh, like you need to give her more of a, like a, of a fighting chance, especially because she was in the type of coma where she does have a chance to wake up. Like she's not, she's like slim chance, but a chance. Uh, and on the other side, um, her husband and some other people from the family arguing that a person has a person has a right to die, and a, a person not all not everyone wants to be in a coma for however long it might take. Like some people would would rather die. And so this legal battle basically ended up arguing that, like, what, what would she want? What would Terry want? Like, it took a long time for the court to decide. But, like, eventually they argued that the, the type of person that Terry was wouldn't want to be on life support forever. Or, like, be on, be on feeding tube forever. So then they removed her feeding tube and then eventually she, she died.
1: I, um, I mean, this is a very sad story, right? Yes. It's a very, I mean, a lot of difficult decisions, ethical concerns Mm -hmm. um you know obviously the fact that she was in a coma to begin with like a tragedy for her family and friends obviously but i think can i just say like i think it's interesting that the court had to look at the type of person that she was to determine what she would want so yeah a
0: lot of character witnesses being like this is what terry would want like her friends her family Uh uh-huh because friends. I was that. thinking
1: that like the court might need to go through like her Twitter <laughs> Twitter feed and be like okay like based on these posts her values <laughs> based on the, well, her likes. Well, and she, she got into a
0: coma in, in nineteen eighty eight. Uh huh. So Twitter not She exist. most likely did not have a Twitter by then. Hmm. She probably didn't even have a blog in nineteen eighty eight. She yeah. might have had
1: letters. <laughs> yeah. <there's>... TV subscription. <laughs> Home decor, <laughs> clothing <Yes>. style.
0: Clothing Co- <laughs> style. Is this a person who wa- who would want every chance of life, or a person who wants to die gracefully? Hmm. Well,
1: they had a weird yellow dress, which I think indicates uh, zest for life. So I believe she would have liked to live.
0: Yeah, interesting. Interesting. It's, it's, but like, the, the, this is a sort of, sort of like difficulty in medical ethics too, because like, how do you? How, if, if, yeah. if you don't know if the you don't explicit know, you like, determine- wishes of a person, how do you determine that? Like, mm. who, how and who makes that decision? And, like, that that's why courts exist, I guess. But, like, it sucks, though, right, to, like, have to go through that procedure. Uh, her husband, by the way, has also written a book. And her family has also written a book, like, to, like of a, of their opposing sort of viewpoints. Because they hate each other now for, for like, how, how this case was handled and sort of, like, what... Because they wanted to completely contrary things right like the husband wanted to take her off the feeding tube family didn't um so if so like there's like the objective things that happen but if you want like both they're both both of their like viewpoints on this you can read either his books or the family books um where they describe the same events but from completely different sort of value points which is i think quite interesting Mm -hmm. so that's where we are right now there's still a lot of debate Around like how to do it, uh, and sort of like how to improve ethical coma care. Yep. Um, but right now everything is everything is difficult.
1: Hmm.
0: Because we can, because you know again we, we can't ask the patients they want.
1: No. Do you know what else I'm thinking about? Um. So like the United States, right? Hmm. How expensive would it be to be in a coma? For for years or yeah. like even for months because like you're staying in a hospital probably right you need to be monitored you need to be intubated like i think they need to like Christ, test yeah. like they need to test you pretty like consistently regularly, regularly yeah. to see if there's any like change mm. or improvement every, how can people better
0: that cost like exactly of I, mean, of I
1: mean like it costs hundreds of thousands to just like be in a hospital yeah. bed so i really wonder like is this even affordable for most people
0: that's true. Like, that's kind of fucked up, actually. Like, how... Because I hadn't even considered that. Because, mm-hmm. like, here...
1: Yeah, they take what, care of... What would yeah. you pay?
0: I don't think you'd pay anything.
1: Probably not. I mean, like you said, like, Sweden's pretty good at, like... Like, like, it's, co- it's, like bad at, it's bad at, like, short-term, term like, non-life-threatening things. Yeah. But if you are in, like, big medical yeah. trouble, like, you are able to get the care that you need. Yeah,
0: um, And, like, you don't have to pay for it. Like, you'll have to pay a little bit, probably. But, like, I don't think you could... I, I can't imagine you would pay... Like Like More more than a hundred bucks, basically, for like a long-term coma care.
1: Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, if you're a regular person who ends up in a coma, like, how do you... I mean, I guess
0: you're like just forever in medical debt. Yeah. America, sort of shit out.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: I'm going to do a quick Google search now, just because it's the end of the episode. Like, we can do it. We can call it all loosey-goosey. Cost of coma, U.S. So com- coma is not the most expensive medical thing. The most expensive medical thing is sepsis, sepsisemia, and cardiac and circulatory congenital anomalies are apparently like the high, the most expensive hospitals. say. but I can't, I can't see what like what, what like a coma would be. I think they have special procedures in case for that because mm. like it's, it's not, it's not one of those things where you can.
1: I mean, you, you can't really charge them by day if they're gonna be in a coma for years. But I don't know. I mean, like the the well, American no. medical system is insane, so I wouldn't even be surprised if they did.
0: Yeah, but I can imagine it would be quite high because, like, all the all the cases I can see are from are for like, you know, quote temp- unquote temporary. Hmm. <laughs> I just found I just found a website uh for Johns Hopkins H- Hospital that is that is a, a calculator for estimate your hospital stay. <laughs> as estimate your hospital the hospital bill dystopia
1: mm-hmm. Anyway, anyway the i guess the point that i'm trying to make is like this definitely plays a role oh, in sure. the decision of somebody to like in, in in one's decision whether to keep like their yeah. loved ones uh, their loved one like yeah. on, on life, life support yeah.
0: or not i wonder if there's like a been i wonder if there's been a study regarding the average amount of time it takes before coma patients are being taken off feeding tubes or life support in the u.s compared to other mm-hmm. nations because if it's shorter that's fucking terrifying because mm-hmm. then that would have to impact like wake-up rates
1: but do you remember what earlier in the episode i was like we were talking about the amount of time that needs to pass before they start discussing maybe that's why
0: they do it maybe like Pro- it's i mean, four weeks
1: yeah four,
0: four weeks, weeks is buck wild by the way I considering know. in the in the uk it's a year
1: yeah so that might play a role maybe um
0: america once again sort your <laughs> crap out Every time we talk about like American healthcare systems on the show, like I'm like a little baffled. Like I'm legitimately surprised that people aren't like burning down their own government. But I guess people almost are in the US now.
1: (laughs) So we've been recording for two hours and and ten minutes. So let's
0: We need to wrap this up.
1: Wrap it up. Okay, so this was our episode on Mm comas. It was very long. There is a lot to talk about.
0: If you fell into coma over the course of this episode, (laughs) now is the time to wake up.
1: Yeah, but what I meant to say is like you know because there's so much uncertainty, mm-hmm. um, but also because it's so complicated. Like anything involving the brain is a guaranteed to our episode. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. I but- wonder if
0: did we I wonder if we're gonna have like a simple episode, small cuts on the hand <laughs> from cutting onions.
1: Anyway, that was the episode. Um, if you enjoyed it, please consider supporting us on Patreon. Uh, rate us on Spotify, Apple Podcast, wherever you're listening. Mm-hmm. um We hope you enjoyed it. There and like the last thing I'm gonna say, I guess, is like not to. <laughs> there's a lot of things that can cause comas, <laughs> but protect your head.
0: Protect your head. I think that's it. Gotta stay safe. With you gotta head. stay.
1: Yeah, wear a helmet. You know, because
0: like you're the head. You're in there. You are. Like, all of you are in that head. <laughs> like you're. I know it sometimes feels like there's more of you, but it's not. All of you are it's inside the, behind that little forehead. <laughs> all of you um,
1: behind those little eyes behind is, those orbits is where you live um <laughs> it's where you live anyway hope you enjoyed the episode uh support us if you can and we will see you on the next one bye